This is Alice's bike. Um, she hates it, and, and now, I, now I know why, because these training wheels don't hit the ground. So she's being expected to kind of ride like leaning over. That's, that's not good. Yeah, but I imagine, though, I imagine there's going to come a time when she will love it. When she's going to think this bike is amazing. When this bike is going to offer her the, the very things that my bike growing up offered me. That sense of peace, of joy, of freedom, of excitement. Right now, it's not that great for her because she's scared. But I believe there's going to come a day when it's all joy for her. And I think about that day, uh, right? You know, so last week we talked about the peace bike, uh, the bike of, of joy, of peace, of of, of, of a way that, that God has our life set up, the way that it's supposed to be. And one of the things I started thinking about is what happens if if we start to lose our peace bike. And so I imagine, like, Alice, you know, let's say that she learns how to ride this thing. That would be awesome. And probably my responsibility as a father to take care of that. So let's assume that I do that. And she starts to really enjoy it. She starts to, to go up and down the street on this thing. She starts to really love it, really uh, be—it just starts to be something that she really, really enjoys. Well, there are ways that she can lose this bike. There are ways where this bike might stop being hers and start being somebody else's, namely mine. One way that she could lose this bike is to make me mad. She can, you know, look, Alice is kind of the good one, I guess. Olivia's the stinker. But that doesn't mean that Alice is, you know, like, good. She's not good. She just has a, she's just better at, you know. So what she does is Alice, Alice likes to needle her sister because there's nothing Alice enjoys more than watching Olivia get in trouble. And so she, she'll be like, Say, I mean, Olivia's like, everything's got to be like this. So it's like, Olivia, um, we're not going to, you know, go to school tomorrow. And Olivia's like, yes, we are. Alice's like, nope, not going to school. School's closed. And Olivia's like, no. Alice is like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no school for you. No! And then Olivia throws a tie, and she's like punching Alice. He's on top of her. And then what does Alice do? She rolls over, big grin on her face, and runs up. Daddy, Daddy, Olivia hit me. Like, oh, okay, honey. Got it. Well, if that happens, I, you know, I, I, look, I'm going to be mad at Olivia, hands to self. That's like a thing. But also, I'm going to be mad at Alice. I'm going to say, Alice, I'm taking your bike away. I'm going to take that from you. Because you, you crossed a line. And, 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 and I, I just, I'm the one who gave it to you, right? This is something I gave you as a gift because I wanted you to enjoy it and have it. But you, you know what? We've got to take this away for a while because you've been naughty. Another way that Alice might lose her bike is uh, she and Olivia like to play games. I can imagine um, they like to have prizes, too. Like, they, it's not, unless the stakes are high, they're not interested. And so, they, you know, like one game they like to play is guess which princess I am. So like, Daddy, which princess am I? I, I don't know, Ariel. You got it, Daddy. Right? Well, if they play that game, let's just say Alice is like, well, what's the prize here? Alice always wins because, you know, she knows more princesses than Olivia does. And so Alice says, Olivia, here's the deal. Winner of this game gets the bike. And Olivia's like, ooh, okay. And, and for the first time ever, the only time ever, Olivia wins. She guesses right. It was Merida from Brave. She gets the right princess, and now the bike is hers. And she's so—Olivia's super jealous of this bike. She can't even reach the pedals, and she, and she falls over every time she gets on it, but she still wants it. She just can't abide the idea that Alice has it, and she doesn't. And so Olivia takes this thing, and it's finally hers, and now Alice has lost her bike again. 
And there's nothing she can do about it, right? She can't get it back. It's Olivia's. Olivia won the game. What's she going to do? Another way that she could lose her bike um, would be if she made a bad deal. Like, so uh, the girls, as an only child, when it was like birthday time, it was awesome. I never went to a birthday and was like upset about it because it was always my birthday. Um, but it turns out when you have siblings, birthdays are horrible because if it's not your birthday, you have to watch your sibling get all this stuff. What an awful experience. Well, yeah, I, I don't even know. Why do we have multiple kids? Oh, right. The hum- survival of the human race depends on it. Got it. Okay. Uh, so in August, it'll be Olivia's birthday before Alice is in like, I don't know, September, October. That's why I'm married. So someone knows. Um, and uh, I'm just kidding. It's October 6th. Right? Is that... Okay. In August, it's Olivia's birthday. Olivia's unwrapping her presents. She gets a brand new doll, and Alice is like, I need to have that. Olivia's a deal maker, though, and she's like, Alice, if you want to take a run at this doll, you're going to have to give me your bike. And Alice is so consumed by her desire for that doll that she makes the terrible choice. She hands over her bike, and suddenly she's lost it again. Last week, we talked about Um, peace as being a bike, the peace bike. And we use this as a metaphor for what it looks like to have peace in our lives. And the truth of the matter is, is if we're honest, probably most of the people here, if you are really inward looking and you're honest about where you are in life, a lot of us, maybe even most of us, don't have peace. We've lost our peace bike. And, and there's different reasons for why that might have happened. We'll talk about some of those later. But, but for whatever reason, right now, you don't have it. And like Alice, maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe you've given it up. And if that's the case, what do you have to do to get your peace bike back? What do you have to do to get your peace bike back? Well, it, it turns out that um, Scripture is, is, this is a big theme in Scripture. It's something that matters a lot in the Bible of people who have peace and who lose it. And there's a theme that runs through Scripture, and we're going to look at it today. God's answer to this question, how do you get peace back when you've lost it? Um, and, and so the first place we're going we're gonna to look is Leviticus. But before we do that, I want to set the context for you. Um, when we talked about uh, the peace bike, we, we, noticed, we noted that um, the peace bike basically has three parts. It's got the frame, and we, we thought of the frame as kind of the foundation of peace, and that's, you know, the basic stuff, work and shelter and food and family, and you need to have enough of those things. And, and if you've got enough of those things and you've got the basis, the frame of your bike, right? But then we also noted that there's the handlebars, and the handlebars are how we aim the bike, you know, it's where, where it's headed. We're headed in a direction. Every one of us is, and we talked last week about the way that the scriptures describe where we're supposed to be aimed is at God. And really what that means is we need to be able to be regularly participating in in costly, generous praise of God. We noted that when the Israelites did sacrifice last week, it wasn't cheap. It was really expensive for them. It was something that they they really had to show that they were thankful uh, to God when they did their peace offerings. And and, and that demonstrated a kind of attitude of life, that life was aimed at God. And it was was, uh, a part of the peace of their life was was this this costly, uh, generous praise to God. 
And so then there's a third thing. That's the fun thing, the good part, the wheels. And we saw last week that when the Israelites did their peace offerings, it wasn't just they went to the temple and killed an animal. It was actually like a big celebration, big party, a big barbecue. And in the, in the Old Testament law, it said you even have to eat um, all the meat that gets sacrificed in the first day, depending on which type of peace offering, or the second day. And in order to do that, you had to have a lot of people around you. And so part of the life of peace, the life of well-being that we talked about last week was you've you got to be generous to, and you've got to celebrate with others. That's, like the, that's the third kind of component to a biblical notion of peace. And so if you have the peace bike together— um, in ancient Israel, it really comes from one place. It's really based on one thing. And, and it starts out like this. When Israel is, is released from uh, slavery in Egypt, and they come into the promised land, God promises every single tribe, every single family, an inheritance, a family plot, a place where it's going to be yours in perpetuity for all time. It's going to be your home and the home of your family, your children, your children's children. And this land is going to be the, the source, the basis of your peace bike. And it's going to work like this. Israel is basically uh, an agricultural or a, um, uh, sometimes a ranching kind of country. They, they live off the land. And so the land is, is critical. The land is the basis of their economy. And so in order to have enough of food, to have enough of shelter, in order to have enough uh, work and family, you've got to have your plot of land. And if you want to be involved in costly, generous sacrifice of praise to God, you've got to sell off some of your stuff, some of the, the crops you've raised or the, the animals that you've raised to, to have the funds to, to do that. And if you want to be generous to people and celebrate with them, well, you've got to have your plot of land. You've got to work it. and You use the fruit of your labor to bless your friends and family and neighbors. And that's a great deal. And that's awesome. Except we know what happens in the real world. And that is sometimes you're unlucky. And sometimes you make mistakes. And sometimes you have vices. You're lazy. Sometimes you get in debt. Sometimes... You need a little extra because you've made some bad choices and bad decisions, bad deals. And so the worst thing that could happen and did happen frequently in ancient Israel is that people would take this land, this gift, this gift of peace from God, the basis of all of their peace, all of their hope, and they would say to their neighbor, I want to sell this to you. I'm going to sell you my inheritance. I'm going to give away everything that God gave me because I'm hungry and my family's hungry and, and we're desperate and, and we've got to take care of, I've got to take care of this. Please take my land. And someone would come along and they would buy it. And as soon as that's happened, every chance of this right here is gone because now it's in someone else's hands. You might live on the land. In fact, uh, typically they would live on the land as indentured servants and they, they would work it under the, the, the ownership of, of someone else basically as slaves not quite as slaves, but close. And, and they would be given just enough to survive. But, but that was based on the, on, the, on the generosity of the person they'd sold to. Every opportunity for surplus, every opportunity for, for flourishing, every opportunity for all the basics of peace are gone. So how do they get their peace back? Our text, um, our first text today is Leviticus 25 6 to 13, or 9 to 13, I'm sorry. 
This is what scripture says. It says, Then have the trumpet blown on the tenth day of the seventh month. Have the trumpet blown throughout your land on the day of reconciliation, also known as the day of atonement. You will make the fiftieth year holy, proclaiming freedom throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a jubilee year for you. Each of you must return to your family property and to your extended family. The fiftieth year will be a jubilee year for you. Don't plant. Don't harvest the secondary growth. Don't gather the freely growing vines. It's a jubilee. It's holy for you. You can eat only the produce directly out of the field. Each of you must return to your family property in this year of jubilee. Freedom. Oh, you've mortgaged your land today. On this day, it's yours again. It will never be out of your hands for all time because God commands that the, the, the way the, the law works in Israel is that every 50th year, all, all debts reset. There's no, your, your mortgage is cleared. It, it's erased. All of the, the mistakes that you've made, they're forgiven. It doesn't matter who holds your plot. You get to go back and live there again as yours. The way this actually works, there's a, quite a, a complicated system. It's done in seven-year um, kind of increments, right? And so um, the first seven years, at the end of seven years, there's a Sabbath year where they let the land lie fallow to kind of regenerate the power of, of the crops, and, and God calls this a Sabbath for the land. And they do this seven times. So seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years. That's 49 years. And then after that last Sabbath year, there's the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. When all debts are reset, all records are erased, and everybody, no matter what mistakes you've made in the past, are given a chance to go back home. Now, some of you are savvy. You're looking at the calendar, and you're like, oh, it's the 48th year. I better sell my land. You know, make a profit. And then in a couple years, I'll just uh, take it back. It's funny, if you keep reading, (laughs) God actually is like, I know what you're thinking. Don't do that. He even sets the price of land so that it starts out the 50th year. It's like max price and it goes down each year so that you can't sell it for more than... It's it's an expectation. There's no such thing as strategic default in in ancient Israel. You can't just, you know, bail on your... It'll all... God's thought about it. it, He's not... not, He gets us. He understands. um, Did you notice uh, the trumpet blown... On the day of reconciliation, the day of atonement. Yat's Yom Kippur, and that's uh, the first thing in your note sheets. Um, Every 50 years on Yom Kippur, God commands Israel to celebrate a jubilee in which all debts are erased. All debts are erased. This day of atonement is is a celebration of Israel that their sins are forgiven or released. And part of that is financial and, 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 and uh, land and mortgage problems and sins. Those two are set free and released. Interesting, though, did you notice um, how you're not supposed to plant, right? Isn't that weird? Uh, so, and, and think about this, all right? So, remember, we're doing seven-year in- in- increments, right? And, and the seventh year is a Sabbath year. You've got to let the land lie fallow, right? You've done 49 of those. So on the 49th year, the land is fallow. And then the 50th year, you get it back. And so you run back to your land start hoeing it again because you're, you're no, you let it lie. That's a very strange idea. Why would you let two years go without working the land. And, and you notice uh, what, what the Lord says. Um, you can eat only the produce directly out of the field. Whatever the field produces of its own accord without your help, that's going to be what you eat. How strange. Why is that? 
I suggest to you that the reason is, is because God wants to prove to the Israelites that he doesn't need them. That their peace doesn't depend on them. Their peace is something he gave them. Remember, their peace comes from the fruit of the land, right? That's the basis. That's the basis of where their peace comes from. Without the fruit of the land, they've got nothing right here. This is the very basis of where all of their joy, all of their hope comes from. And what God is saying is he's saying, this year, you're not going to work it. You're not going to use your effort. You're not going to figure it out. You're not going to work real hard and dig yourself out of debt. An interesting image, if you think of it, like digging yourself out of debt. That seemed... But yeah, you can't dig yourself out of a hole. But anyway, see, God's not gonna, God, that's not what's going to happen. Instead, God's going to show you that he can make the land grow without you. He can provide peace for you without you. And on this year of Jubilee, when your debts are erased, when the record is set right, he's going to remind you, he's going to remind you, Israel, that your peace is a gift from him. That you aren't the one who makes it happen. And even though you've made mistakes, and yes, eventually you will have to work with God and you'll have to, you know, get back to work and, and do all the right stuff and, and be responsible and all that. But in this moment, in this year, God is reminding Israel that peace is not on you. Peace is a gift from him. And you have to trust him for it. Because if you're letting that land sit and you're hungry, your natural inclination is, I got to plant, I got to sow. And God says, Wait. Wait. Trust me. I will provide. Which is a counterintuitive notion. We think that that our peace um, in life comes from our effort. Our our peace is based on our our discipline, our forward-thinkingness, our talents, our, our, our effort. That's what creates for us prosperity. That's what makes this peace bike possible, right? Wrong. God says, no, it comes from me. First, trust me first, and then you will have peace. Just hold, hold that, hold this, this jubilee, this notion in mind, this, this erasure in mind, and, and, and look at our second text. This is Paul talking about the cross in, Col- in Colossians. He says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That, it's, it's awkward in the New King James, that handwriting of requirements. It's really just a Greek idiom. And and it's talking about a, a debt ledger. It's like, you know, you, back in the day, they didn't have, you know, credit cards. And so you would go and, and you would, you'd buy things on credit, right? And so you'd go to the, the store and you'd say, hey, I'm good for it. You know, I'll come back next week. And the grocery guy's writing it down and writing it down and writing it down. It gets longer and longer and longer. And you know deep down that you don't have the money to pay for it. You don't have what you need in your pockets. But you keep hoping that next week something's going to turn around and you're, you're going to get right. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And longer and longer and longer. And at a certain point, that man says to you, your credit's no good here. Go someplace else. What Paul is saying in that is he's saying, we actually have a ledger like that with God. If every single one of us is honest, we probably don't have our handlebars set up right, where we're, you know, focused on the Lord all the time and, and really honoring Him and, and, and making that costly, you know, generous praise. In fact, we're probably focused on ourselves a lot. 
And moreover, we probably don't have our wheels perfectly set up, but we really are being right to our neighbors. In fact, we're probably very wrong to our neighbors. And every time that happens, there's a ledger that gets longer and longer and longer and longer where God's looking and says, this is the life I've set for you, and you keep departing from it. And you are in debt up to your eyeballs, and it's, and it's drowning you, it's destroying you. You cannot get out of this hole. And the message of the cross, friends, is this. That that ledger was nailed to the cross. We know that there was no nailing of a ledger to the cross. Instead, there was a man nailed to the cross. And, and the metaphor that Paul is using is he's saying that God treated Jesus as if he were your record of, record of debts. And when his life expired, when it went out of him, your record of debts evaporated. It was burned up. It was gone. It was extinguished. It's finished. Friends, who is the one fixing your debt problem? Is it you? No, it is God. In ancient Israel, was it the Israelites thinking, all right, I'm just going to work really hard and I'm going to get my, my land back. Was that how it worked? No. God said, erased, jubilee, free to all. The second thing in your note sheets is that at the cross, God erases our record of debt once and for all. And just as with the Jubilee year, when you, you walk in and, 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 and you kind of want to immediately work the land and, and, and get, the whole point of the cross is to remind people that you can't do it. It's not up to you. It's a free deal. You don't have the credit to pay anymore. You don't have the money to set it right. You can't ask yourself this. Have you noticed this? This is true. Um, some of you are married. Um, I'm married. When, and occasionally, I mean, very rarely, but occasionally, I'll get in trouble with my wife. Very occasionally. In fact, uh, we, <laughs> I really should pause to just say thank you for those of you who uh, helped out with our move yesterday. We moved into the Parsonage yesterday, and it was a truly amazing. Uh, thank you so much. It was truly an amazing experience. Uh, Mike and Steve have just been um, incredible. We'll talk about that later, but it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful moment. As we were getting ready to move, however, I'll be honest, it was a little tense between Aaron and I. And, uh, and I, yeah, Aaron, Aaron likes to hold on to stuff. I have no time for anything. I, there's like three things that are important, you know, uh, the TV, um, the internet, and then the PlayStation. The rest of it can burn. I don't care. Uh, she, but she cares. I mean, she's like, but these are photos of our family. Who cares? Get it out of here. It's a waste of space. You know. I'm just kidding. I love pictures of my kids. It's digital. You don't know. Well, okay. I don't. I don't want to fight about it. Let me just say this, though. I'm willing to admit that I might have upset her a little bit. Now, when I'm in the doghouse, how am I going to get out? Let me ask you this, ladies. Is there anything that I can do? No. No. No, 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 no. Oh, Rona, you got one? You know what I can do? What do I do? I get apologize. Ronan, you're so naive. That's wonderful. Yeah, that absolutely works. Go with that. <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a secret, bud. Um, sometimes even apologies don't work. Here's why. Here's why. It's because it's up to Aaron to release my debt, right? She knows that I've done wrong, and, and I can give her the flowers, and I can try. But ultimately, it's up to her to say, okay. I know where your heart is. I forgive you. The debt's clear. 
as a result, and analogously, when we're in debt to God because of our sin, because of our, of our failures, when we've lost peace with him, there's nothing we can do to get it back. It's up to him to say, I'm letting this go. And that is the cross. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of, of jubilee. There was a jubilee in the Old Testament for the, for the land. There's a jubilee at the cross for our hearts and for our spiritual condition. The bottom line is this. God gives us our peace bike. But the thing is, is that we find a way to pawn it. We find a way to take this good gift that God has, this peace that we are supposed to have in our life. There's really, there's two kinds. There's spiritual peace, and, and then there's also material peace. And, and we find a way to pawn it, to send it out to someone, just like Alice, just like Alice with Olivia, where, you know, she's like, she's like, I, I need that doll. Here, take my bike, right? I need that doll right now. Take my bike. Or, or you win the game, so you get my bike. Just like that, we pawn off our peace. We'll talk in a few seconds about what that might look like in our lives. But the fact is this. We pawn it, but only God can get it out of hawk. Only God can get it out of hawk. Out of hawk just means buying it back from the pawn shop. Um, God's the one who, who pays the guy. We don't have the ability to get it. Only God can do that. And I want, I want, I, this might be counterintuitive because especially, you might buy it if I'm talking about spiritual peace with sin and, and you might buy that. You say, yeah, okay, I get that. We can't, there's nothing we can do to fix our sin. But you might think, you might think, but with something like material peace, like, you know, the, 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 the stuff we live in this life of having, you know, finances and resources to, to have the basics of life or, or to be generous to God or maybe to be, um, to celebrate with, with others, surely that's something I can work at. I can do it. I can fix that if I'm discipline and I'm smart and I know what I'm doing, right? Doesn't it seem like that should just be a, ma- a matter of effort? Well, I suggest to you it's not. I suggest to you it's exactly the same thing as our spiritual peace with God. There's nothing we can do to earn it. All we can do is say, God, I trust you. I trust you to be you. I trust you that the cross really was the erasure of my debt. I surrender, God, because I can't do this. I suggest it's exactly the same movement. The same movement in your heart is required if you want to recover material peace. The fact of the matter is, you can't do it. You have to believe. You know, the, 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 those four things on the frame. You know, food and shelter and work and family. Some of us um, are in a place where, you know, we, we don't have enough. We really don't. You know, out of work, um, something like that. It feels like we've been exiled off of our own land in ancient Israel, like it's been mortgaged and someone else owns it. And we have nothing. Or, we, we're, we're, or if we, even if we do have the, the rent for this month, we're worried about next month. And we think, in our minds, we tend to think, what I got to do is buckle down. I suggest, to the contrary that what we really need to do is cry out and say, God, I need your jubilee. I trust, me, I trust you, God, that you declared jubilee, and I'm having faith in that because I can't get out of this on my own. I believe you, God, for your jubilee in my finances right now. That's step one. And if you don't go to that place, I don't think that the peace bike is really ever going to be yours. It's going to be dependent on you, not on him. Some of us... Um, we actually do have enough, but we don't think we do. 
Yeah, we, uh, we actually do. We're, we're actually doing pretty well. Um, but the thing is, uh, we actually do have enough shelter and food and, and, and family and work. But we're thinking, you know what? I need more. I need a little bit more. I need more of, of that stuff. And, and, and we get into this cycle, especially here in Orange County, where it's like, it's like there's enough, and then there's where we are, and then there's where we think we ought to be. And so we focus on that, and we, we lose ourselves in that, and it steals our peace. One of the quotes we had last week about peace was about contentment and the value of contentment. But we've lost it because we're obsessed with more. I suggest to you, again, that the way to solve that problem is not to be like, all right, be more content. It's to cry out to God and say, God, I trust you to be enough for me. And until you're enough for me, I am always going to be clawing for more and more and more. It's to have that same movement of faith that says, God, you're it and I'm not. God, I trust you for provision, not all the stuff that I get. I trust you for satisfaction, not an acquisition and more and acquisitiveness and, and greed. I trust you and not hoarding. Some of us uh, today have a problem with our handlebars. We, we come here and um, if we're honest, we really aren't in our lives in any way directed towards God, and we certainly aren't offering him generous, costly praise. And, and, and our natural inclination is to say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buckle down. This year, I'm going to put it in the budget, and I, I, we're going to make sure it happens. I'm going to do something for you, Lord, because you deserve it, and it's going to be about my effort. I suggest to you, no. Instead, what it is is to cry out to God and say, I need to trust you. I need to believe that you are worth it. I need to prostrate myself before you and believe that you're good enough, that you're worthy enough, that you're majestic enough. And if you come to that place, that moment of faith in the one saving God, and you say, God, I need your peace. I claim your jubilee. I believe that in that moment, our hearts change. And suddenly it becomes possible to make those regular, costly sacrifices of praise. That it's something that comes from a change in our recognition of who we are before God rather than a whole lot of our effort. Which isn't to say that it won't take some effort afterwards. Because giving money away is terrible. I don't like it. And I, I, certainly, I certainly don't, you know, we all talked a lot, it doesn't have to be giving money away. It can also, of course, be, you know, your time and your energy, whatever it is. I, I'm kind of selfish with that stuff. It will be hard. I'm not saying that the discipline's not required. I'm saying that before discipline, is an attitude of trust. It is a, it's a recognition that God is the jubilee, saving, peace-giving God and saying, God, I trust you to be that for me. Some of us, actually, um, this is a thing, people um, uh, go overboard on their handlebars where all they do is, is sacrifice for God. It's just more for God, more for God, more for God. In fact, it, rec- it wrecks your peace because sometimes it causes you to not have enough here or not have enough here. You're so holy. You're so focused on giving God God's due and doing everything that God uh, requires that suddenly um, you don't have time or space or resources for anything else. I suggest to you again, what you need to do if this is you is start believing that God doesn't actually need your praise that much. You see, you're taking it on yourself to make God, like, God, I'm going to show you how great I think you are. God doesn't need that from you. God didn't need the Israelites to work the land. It was great when they did. But God said, you know what? Let that land sit, and I will show you where your peace comes from. 
I give it to you. It's mine. I'm the author, not you. And some of you, yeah, maybe you, maybe you give too much. And maybe your jubilee is to step back and say, God, I believe that you don't actually need it. That you're big enough and your church is strong enough and you're holy enough that you can do it yourself. Some of us have wheel problems. We don't like to have any fun. Remember, that's the fun part, you know, riding down the wheels, going fast, right? It's the fun part of the peace bike. Some of us don't like to have fun. Some of us uh, don't like other people. So we like to hide away. We, uh, we, we retreat. We, we, we come back. We pull back. And, and you're thinking, well, the key to, to peace is just to work harder at getting to know people. Instead, I think that the key is to call out to God and claim his jubilee and his peace in your life and say, God, I'm the one who needs peace and I don't have it. And I know that I need your people in order to recover it. And so, God, I need you to give your people to me even if I'm fighting it. Some of us are hurt. We've experienced a lot of loss. Um, we're in sometimes places of despair. Sometimes, pla- And we, we, we huddle in. You know, we get away. We, get, we, shell, we create shells around ourselves. I think that instead of saying, I got to work hard and get out of my shell this week, instead, what we say is, God, break into my shell with your people by your spirit. Because it can't come from you. It needs to come from him or it won't be real peace. The last, of course, are people who, if they have no other part of the bike, it's just wheels, they're like unicycles. Like all you do, this, these are the people who, people all the time. You just give to people and you celebrate with people. It's party 24-7. This is, if I were going to air, that's where I'd want to air. I'll be honest with you. I'd, I'd want to go all, all wheels and, and nothing else. Uh, and so you think, what, what I need to do is I just need to back off a little bit, get into balance, need to work a little harder, plan a little better. Um, again, no. That is not how the peace bike works, and it's not how you ride it. The peace bike begins with you saying, God, I can't, and I need you. And I'm going to trust you to be the one who gives me the courage and the ability and the discipline to change and if we start out with this attitude of faith, the same faith that we use to trust in, in, in Christ to, for eternal life, to have our, our debt record expunged and, and, and taken away, if we have that same kind of faith in our daily life as we're trying to recover peace, we're going to realize that the answer to that question that we had at the beginning, how do I get my peace bike back, is really simple. You don't. God gets it back for you. When Alice comes and says, Daddy, Olivia has my bike. What do I do? Does she go and beat up Olivia and get her bike? That's not going to work. Instead, I got to step in. Daddy's got to step in. I love her. I want her to have this peace. I do. It matters to me. I believe that this is what is going to be best for her. And so I step in and I say, Olivia, no more. Your game is done. It's finished. This is Alice's bike and you can't have it. When Alice has done wrong and she's gotten on my bad side and, and, and she, she's lost her bike and, and does she come, does she like steal it? That's not going to work. Instead, I say, Alice, I forgive you. I want you to have your bike back. God is the same way, friends. He is a good father and he wants desperately for his people to have peace. Our problem is we're trying to seize it. We're trying to fix it. When he's waiting for us to say, trust me with it. 
and then the other stuff will follow. I do have to do due diligence. If you're in a place uh, of financial insecurity, for example, and that's a place of, of a problem for peace for you, or if you're in a place um, of family, um, lack of peace because something's going on with your family, or you know, you're in a, in a place with work where something's wrong, you don't have peace there, um, there will come a point where there is effort, where there is discipline, where there is, but that's not where we start. And if we start there, whatever we have, it won't be the peace bike that God's given us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we confess to you that we come as people who are out of peace. We're disjointed. And God, we also confess that we're people who want to fix it ourselves. We're people who want to take care of business on our own. We're people who want to fix the problems because we think we're strong enough. And God, we confess that we're not. God, I pray for every single person here that whoever is in a place that has no peace, that God, they will confess it to you, submit it to you, claim the jubilee that you love to give, and beg you to be the one who breaks in with peace in their lives, that you will fix the material problems and the family problems and the relational problems, that you will be the one who sets those things right. And that when we see that initial act of grace, God will respond and live in light of it and incorporate the work and the discipline that you ask of us. But God, we must remember, and we do remember, God, it's grace first, you first, faith first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.